Hello and welcome to another episode of the Churchology Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holmes, and today on the show, we get to talk to David Fritsch. David is a revivalist, he's a speaker, he's a writer, he's an entrepreneur, and today we are talking about the power of prayer, the need for prayer. David has been a part of 24-7 prayer movements, and he's written a phenomenal book called Enthroned, Bringing God's Kingdom to Earth Through Unceasing Worship and Prayer. And so David just brings a lot of experience, um, so much knowledge in to prayer and just such a conversation that, that, that we need to have as the church and just stepping into the power of prayer. And so, man, I love this conversation with David. I was so challenged by it, encouraged by it. And I think this is a word that your church needs to hear. Um, I think this is a word that you as a follower of Jesus need to hear. It doesn't matter what <laughs> network denomination your church may be a part of. We cannot go back to quote-unquote normal. God is inviting us to a new way, and I love David's heart and what he just unpacks in this interview. So let's just dive right into today's episode with David Fritsch on the Churchology Podcast. All right, well, today on the show, we are so excited to get to talk to David Fritsch. David, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. David, I would love to hear. So we're, we're going to dive into your book today, Enthroned, Bring God's Kingdom to Earth Through Unceasing Worship and Prayer. I would love to hear um, some of your story and, and how it led to you pioneering 24-7 prayer and worship. Yeah. Um, man, uh, I've always had uh, just a deep, since I started walking with the Lord, a heart for revival and um, dissatisfaction with where things were in in the church even from a, a teenager just you know reading revival history and books about azusa street revival it's been in my heart but uh the lord i love how you know the lord always prepares you for what he's called you to do but i the lord took me from a very on fire community uh, in the virginia beach area that was just going after revival having extended times of worship and prayer and then he put me in the polar opposite of that <laughs> in a small town in Oklahoma. And uh, I feel like that's where I really um, kind of in that desert season, God began to uh, just put a longing in my heart, you know, being surrounded with people that didn't have the heart or the language for revival and, um, and me longing for it, not feeling I had any like uh, camaraderie in my desires. And um, so it was during that time that I uh, reconnected with um, one of the guys from the Virginia Beach days where we had just this community that would get together, worship sometimes three, four hours at a time. And, and there was all these home fellowships built around it. And but it wasn't more than about 60 people, but um, there were people that left that and moved to different parts that really became influencers and in what, you know, this movement that I've been involved in with night and day worship and prayer. And so it was just neat to see how God did that. But um, so I got reconnected to one of the guys and, I said, you know, like you're doing this thing where you're gathering people in your city to worship and pray uh, night and day. You're gathering churches together. I was like, tell me about that. He said, well, it's really strange that you uh, reached out to me because um, a guy in your town, small town, Oklahoma, reached out to me yesterday and was asking me, how do we get this prayer thing going in our city? Mm. So um, 
long story short, I ended up, I was on church, on church staff and I ended up resigning from my position to help pioneer night and day worship and prayer in our city. And, um, and so nobody talked about it. Nobody had the language for it. I didn't even have the language for it, but I knew in my heart that prayer was a key to revival. Prayer was a key to seeing lost souls saved. And so I wanted to go after it. So we ended up starting a house of prayer in my thousand square foot home mm, wow. <laughs> with, uh, with about um, we uh, with about 13 worship leaders. So we had two hours of worship and prayer in the morning, two hours of worship and prayer in the evening, five days a week. And, uh, you know, we it was exciting to get it going, but we quickly learned we have no idea how to pray. We, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't know how to explain what we're doing to the outside community, but we, in the rigors of really learning, just in the trenches of learning to pray, we learned to pray. And um, then this movement that we are part of, it, it um, had been in a few different locations. And the model is you bring churches together once a month for 24 hours of worship and prayer. And every church kind of takes a slot. So that movement, there was three locations in that first year exploded all the way around the world. And we, we didn't have a bank account or a nonprofit, but in that first year, we were sending teams to the Middle East and Indonesia. And uh, there was uh, these, what we call furnaces starting all over the world. I mean, I think there was probably 40 that were started that first year. So it was just, we kind of got in the midst of this thing. And because I had been to seminary, everyone was, uh, they were sending me the hard emails like, where is this in the Bible? And where did you find this? And like, and this is a, a biblical concept. And they were using terms that I'd heard, but wasn't real familiar with, like the tabernacle of David. And, and I knew, I knew people were vaguely referencing, you know, in the charismatic movement, they were vaguely referencing like that is nine day worship and prayer or 24 seven mm -hmm. worship and prayer. But I didn't really know how to support that. So I, I kind of panicked, like, okay, I'm the seminary graduate. And I don't know how to explain the theology of this young movement that I'm a part of. So I just started really digging and searching the scriptures and combination of digging and searching the scriptures, but also just trying to walk out the faithfulness to do what God had put in our hearts. Um, it, it was like, I was kind of getting this, um, this uh, language on the run, you know, like, uh, we would do it and then the Lord would begin to show me where it was in scripture and I would begin to kind of get oh, that's and, and God validating what we were experiencing through given kind of building the theology as we were building the ship of this movement and um, so it was really those like um, just like I would say micro nuggets like in the midst of the trenches of building this movement that God would show me that became sort of the foundation of my book. Cause I, I thought I'm like this and other people are thinking, man, this is good, but is this tethered to scripture? Is this foundational in scripture? Uh, and how do we explain this to our communities? Cause it's sort of a, it feels fringe. It feels new. It feels like, you know, this is a little bit out there. And uh, the more I got language for them, then I would teach it and share it and, you know, write, things down for people and like oh we can use that we can we can teach people we can disciple them in this and uh, then eventually it became the book enthroned yeah and you you said you called them you know you i love the name furnaces so what uh, what do those look like today are those still happening today what what's that what's that look like right now 
Yeah, I'm not directly uh, involved in that. That was the movement is called Burn 24-7. I'm not um, directly involved in it anymore, but there's, I would say, an estimated close to 300 furnaces around the world. And uh, it's really got a unique DNA of we're going to unity in the church. So we're going to gather the church. Um, and it starts off like we just give people easy. I think the reason it spread so quick, let me back up here, is because we gave people an accessible model. Okay. You don't have to be international house of prayer and like go seven days a week, 24 hours around the clock. Just get a few people together once a month and do an extended worship time. Give everybody an hour, two hours, whatever. And it just gave people an easier starting point. Like we can do this. So furnaces gather unified churches, pray around the clock, extended worship hours. And then some, some people it birthed something more. It birthed into multiple days a week or a house of prayer. And, um, but it's really tethered to missions and evangelism. So a lot of those guys still host these events and then out on the streets, people are sharing the gospel or they're sending mission teams and, doing the same thing, modeling worship and prayer and then evangelism in, in partnership with it. Yeah. I love the, the words that you used earlier. You, you just talk about that hunger for revival. And it was one of the things that was birthed out of was just a dissatisfaction of yeah. maybe what you saw in the church. So as you look around the landscape today, here we are 2022 in January. Are, what, are, what are some things that you see? We'll, go, we'll take both ends. Uh, what are some things that <laughs> maybe you're dissatisfied with and is there anything on the other end that, that you're encouraged with? Yeah, um, it's a good question. I, I think my dissatisfaction as I've been involved in the church and on staff at churches through the years is, um, especially like it, in the American context, I think there's, um, we fall into the trap that it's, a better method, a better program. Uh, th there's some human methodology that we're missing. So we got to go to the next conference. We got to get the next book. We got to figure out how to get people in the seats. And so I, my frustration or where I see a lack sometimes is that we sometimes traded off those methods and which are not bad in of themselves. And we've traded the pursuit of getting people in the pews rather than getting God in the building. And, mm. um, you know, and when I say that, you know, I don't know where your listeners or what their frame of reference is. I, I know God is omnipresent, but he also manifests. And you look through the scriptures and geographical areas, his presence becomes manifest. You know, upper room is a yeah. classic yeah. example. God meeting with Abraham, you know, throughout scriptures, God walking in the garden with Adam, that he manifests his physical nature. And so I see like there's a trade-off of like um, now we're relying on our human strength and power to do the work of the kingdom. And then sometimes I think in the mire of that, like we lose actually the focus of the work of the kingdom. It's first to pursue his presence. And then when he comes, the people will follow because you actually have something to give them that's not yourself. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That makes absolute sense. I, I think one of the, yeah. you know, one of the things that, that really stands out to me in this moment, as we've been through two years of pandemic, churches locked down, then churches reopen. And yeah. the division in the world is, is right on par in the church uh, right. and, 
mm-hmm. all of the issues we see in the world, they're in the church. And, and it yes. almost looks as if that that model that you've talked about, you know, it's all about the Sunday morning. How can we get more people in and, 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 and all of that, that we're reaping what we've sown. Mm-hmm. You know, we, yeah. our buildings are full. Our rooms might've been full, but we weren't necessarily seeking, you know, like you said, the presence, or we weren't necessarily making disciples. We were, but we had a lot of people in seats. Yeah, for sure. Is there, is I, there I can, some, Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's going to say, I think the blessing that's come through like, um, you know, the pandemic and all of that is it's put its finger on the very thing that we relied on, you know, the, the corporate meetings, it's like suddenly a season we can't do that. And everybody's pivoting to doing online, but it's a poor replacement, you know, for the, the in-person gatherings. And I, I really saw a lot of people doing some heart search during that time. And I feel like God was using that moment to challenge a system and going like, this is the only way that you can do it is through these public meetings. Like, like, is that all there is? Like, Hmm. you know, and I think, I think our, our structures that we built have been challenged in a good way. And I, I feel like to go where God, you know, our mandate is to disciple all nations and the current state of the church, we can't accomplish that mission where we're at. And so really the revelation of what we're talking about prayer, it's, it's coming back to the place of humility and saying that we can't do this without him. And we can't rely on our gifts, our leadership skills, our programs, like that. If we don't have God, we can't turn a culture back to him. If we don't have God, we can't reach nations. We can't disciple entire nations. We, we have to, it's to me, not to be overly dramatic, but I feel like it's, it's really the season to discard anything that wasn't born of the spirit that can't produce the work of the spirit in our midst and get back to the main thing that can change it all. And that's him and that's his presence. And it's making that a priority. Mm. So do you think that there's something maybe that's conducive about this moment that would lend itself to the kind of prayer and worship that you're talking to, talking about? Yeah, I think, you know, crisis in general produces, uh, you know, desperation and a hunger. You know, it's like like we're looking at global events and going, wow, like (laughs) this is beyond what any of us have ever seen. And it's like we're realizing it's bigger than, you know, like we can keep going about business as usual and understand and, and, and keep fooling ourselves into thinking, placating ourselves with thinking, oh, because we have numbers, then we're doing the work or if the building's full, or if we have great music or great programs. And I think what pain does and what crisis does is it puts us back in touch with what the foundational elements really are. And so I think, um, I think really God wants to leverage this to pull us back to what the what is the foundation of the kingdom and rebuild things on that? And I think when we do, I, I don't know what, I don't claim to know what it looks like, but I know it's going to look very different than what we're doing now. Mm. And so one of the things that the book really centers around is the tabernacle of David. And so I would love for you to talk, maybe people that are watching, listening, what is the tabernacle of David? So unpack that for us a little bit and it's relevance for today. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a good question. And that's really kind of the quest that I went on in writing the book and um, kind of like, what is this? And so what I found as I was studying, it, you know, I, I heard it thrown around, in, you know, spirit filled charismatic type circles. And the assumption was in that circle, 20, the Tabernacle of David um, was referring to when David set up a tent on Mount Zion, hired singers and musicians, sing to the Lord night and day. And there's this kind of uh, leap and thought that that was 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so um, that, so that's that one camp. And then the other camp is more of the evangelical Bible believing um, churches that aren't necessarily embrace the gifts of the spirit or, or practice it. And that camp would say the tabernacle of David has no direct connection to 24 seven worship and prayer. It's really just talking tabernacle of David would be an interchangeable term with the kingdom of David. And so the, you know, flagship scripture is Amos 9, 11 and 12, where Amos prophesies that in the last day, the tabernacle of David would be rebuilt and um, extreme paraphrase here, but that it, that all, all nations would come to the Lord. And so what that's referring to is it's a messianic prophecy of talking about when Jesus, the son of David takes the throne of David, and rules, and which is really talking about the church age. And so um, I, I may be getting off too, in too many details, but also I'll try to be concise. But um, no, that's good. so, um, but really what, what I learned in my study is that it wasn't either or, it was actually both. And so when you study Amos, you see like, man, there is no direct language or connection to this being a prayer thing. But when you realize the tabernacle of David is referring to the house of David or the kingdom of David being restored, then you have to look at like, well, what, how did David build his kingdom? And then that's where I found the connection. And I, I was talking to a good friend that was a missionary in the Middle East. And he said, you know, if you look at David's kingdom, you cannot separate it from worship and prayer. It was the foundation stone of everything that he did. And it was, it was the revolution in Israel. So David inherited this mess from Saul. Saul rejected uh, the leadership of God. He rejected the prophetic word of the Lord, and he never pursued the ark of his presence, which was to be the centerpiece of the nation. And so there's a whole generation, 40 years, grew up without the word of the Lord, without the presence of God. And so it, uh, evil was reaped on, on that watch. And so when David took over, he inherited an absolute mess. And the very first thing that he does in his kingdom, he, he doesn't go about reformation in the way that we would. He didn't go after a better military. He didn't go after better economics. He said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go find the ark. I'm going to get it out of obscurity. And I'm going to take it and I'm going to put it under a tent. And I'm going to hire 4,288 singers and musicians. And here is going to be our first and foremost priority. We're going to sing to the Lord night and day. We're going to call on his name and we're going to listen to him and whatever he says, we're going to obey. And so I believe, and you know, you can read it in the book and stuff. I believe that was a literal 24 seven reality. And I feel like I have found some supporting elements to that, and, but it's really not the issue. The issue is that he built his kingdom. Saul dethroned God, that generation dethroned God. And then in David's generation, he enthroned God back into his proper place of leadership and then built a culture around his presence. And so the outflow of that is like for, you know, he did this for 33 years is that he's prioritizing and building a culture around the presence of God. And even like 
they believe that the tabernacle of David, the tent of David was right next to his palace. So it's like in earshot where they're making all the political and governmental decisions for the nation. There's this culture of singing to the Lord night and day and dependence on him. And so what we see is that in a generation, um, Israel rises from a rogue tribal empire with no leadership to a global superpower with abundant prosperity that their culture and their arts are affecting all nations. The, the leaders of the earth, kings of the earth are coming to see. And I believe that's in direct relationship to their prioritizing and walking in that foundational element of the presence of God. So when we talk about the tabernacle of David, we're saying this kingdom is being restored under Jesus. And here, and the tabernacle of David just gives us a visual picture of what the kingdom of God's like and how it functions in the earth. And so its foundation is this um, priestly ministry of worship unto God, dependence on him in prayer, and, um, and then the empowering that comes from his presence to do the work of the kingdom. And so what do you think is the connection for churches today from that that may see that? Um, you know, and in the book, you in the book, you really draw a parallel between the tabernacle of David and the throne room of heaven. So you take us right to Revelation four and five and yeah. and, and those places. And so what what's the connection for the church right here? Twenty twenty two that sees this and how's that relevant yeah. for them today? That's a good question. I, I think two things. One is to that there is uh, prophecy being fulfilled. So, yeah. Um, in the book of Acts, James prophesies the Amos 11 prophecy in the last days I'll raise up the tabernacle of David. And he paraphrases it. And they're kind of having an aha moment because they didn't expect the Gentiles to come into the faith and get baptized in the Holy Spirit. So they're kind of grappling with like, we're in this moment. And then there's this revelatory aha moment. And James says, this is the tabernacle of David being raised. And so it's the kingdom of David's being restored under the leadership of Jesus. And he paraphrases says, when that kingdom is restored, then um, all of humanity will seek the Lord. And so he's prophesying this missional movement that would outflow as we return to the presence of God. So the practical mm -hmm. connection to the church is that when we return to seeking the Lord in the presence of God through worship prayer as the primary and foundational function of our calling as a people as individuals but as corporate bodies and what we can expect prophetically and as promises of scripture is that there will be a bursting forth of supernatural harvest of the nations coming to jesus as we make that priority so let me give you an example like i feel like we're seeing this you see it in your own life i'm sure you, you can resonate when you prioritize the presence of god it just bears fruit in your life. You see the connection. But some good friends of mine that um, started the Upper Room Church in Dallas, Texas, they're, where they're kind of uh, leading the way right now um, in this, like, what does it look like for a church to do this night and day worship thing? So they have a prayer room that runs from 6 in the morning to 8 p.m. at night, live worship and prayer. Um, so when they started, they started in an upstairs Sunday school room, Baptist church, and God said to them, I don't want you to put up a website. I don't want you to send out any literature. I want you to gather around my presence and treat people to minister to me. And so mm. they would do that. They would meet their prayer gatherings and, and they'd be preaching and stuff like that too, but they had no programs. They had nothing for the kids. 
like had zero things that the books tell you that you need to build a successful church. And then the church started growing and the church started growing. And people were like, well, what do we do with the kids? Well, the kids were like encountering God in these worship times. And like, um, and so they're, so I said, well, what did you do? And he said, well, like people would just find us. They would hear about it from a friend. Like they, hmm. And so he said, it was not until like eight years into this that God said, okay, you can put up a website. Like people need directions to your church. <laughs> and so wow. marketing didn't build this thing. And now they're kind of being used as, you know, um, vehicles for this to, what does it look like for a church to gather around its presence? Now they have, you know, they have a website and they have many of the things that churches have. Um, but they're the pivot point for them. It's just in one of these daily times of ministering to the Lord, God gives them a prophetic song that becomes like a song sung around the world and being recorded suddenly within the space of a couple of weeks, being recorded all over the nations. And the people suddenly are looking at this little prayer in them in Dallas, Texas, and going, What's going on there? And then and then people are drinking from that well. And so I'm using that as a model as it's counterintuitive to go forsake all the machinery and go back to the presence. But when you go back to the presence, he is going to, things get birthed in that, that are from the heart of God that translate to kingdom fruit. And so God may tell you to build very similar things that look like the traditional church or whatever it is. It's not even the point of the model. It's that what we produce needs to be birthed from the first thing first. Mm. So that is absolutely, like you said, I love the word that you used, counterintuitive. That is absolutely counterintuitive yeah. uh, than what you hear, read, go to conferences to learn about. So so just to sum up and just to, because I, man, I don't want to miss this. I would love to just dive into this here. So, so the presence of God is what yeah. drives the mission of the church, that, that yeah. the presence is what drives the missionary impulse of the church. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm probably botching this quote, but John Piper, um, uh, yeah, I, I don't even want to try, but the essence of the quote is that basically like worship is the first work of mission. And it's yeah. like, it's where it starts and beholding him. It's, it's where beholding him and worshiping him. It's where we're transformed. It's where we're changed. And it's where things really begin to happen. You know, that little group that you know, we started a house of prayer in my house in Oklahoma years ago. It's like so much was birthed out of that little community, just a little community. Um, missions movements, but like there's long-term teams in the Middle East today because of this little group in Oklahoma. Um, multiple short-term missions teams, long-term mission teams, uh, groups of young people that are still going around the nations that I have nothing to do with that still has fire on it, um, getting in bands every summer and driving around America, Canada, Europe, teams of musicians and singers and worshiping and praying and crying out to God for revival every place that they go and then preaching the gospel in the streets with signs and wonders following. All that was birthed out of this little, not more than eight people at one time in a room. Like just gathering around the presence, calling on his, praying his heart, prophesying his will into the earth. And it's like, it is, it's counterintuitive. And um, i say this real quick, just because it's coming to my mind, but I feel like we're kind of in a confluence of like uh, changing of the seasons where we're in the midst of a, 
of a reformation. I, I believe the church is going to undergo a reformation and it's really the work of the spirit to dismantle things that cannot produce kingdom fruit. And the rebuilding of what we'll see will be the reformation. It'll be something that can, it'll be a wineskin that can contain the presence and power of God for the next generation. And so I, everywhere I have people like contacting me, you know, there's a, a, a Nazarene church in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And, you know, it's not, this isn't their typical language or thing. They, like, they're not from a, like, I'm from a charismatic background and Pentecostal background, and they're not coming from that. But the pastor reads my book and he's like, God's like, he said, I'm redefining your ministry for the next 20 years of your life. And he's like, <laughs> asking me like, how do we do this? And so they've like literally moved from this program based, even outreach based priority to the presence of God. And they're worshiping morning, noon and night in their church. And they're undergoing this sort of like, and then Nazarene churches all over, like going, how do we start this? How do we do this? And they're finding their way back to the presence of God. And what I believe is happening is that we, as we return to our first love, that's the reformation seed. Because when it gets a hold of you, you lose your taste for anything that's not him. And so as we go after his presence and first love as the church, we start to lose our taste for anything that can't um, cultivate more of him in our midst that can't get us more of God. And so we, um, so we start forsaking those things and laying them down. And, um, and I believe that it's the, it's a renovation. And so I believe a lot of pastors I talk to, they're in the middle of a renovation process where they're all the old ways being dismantled. They're like, we can't do that anymore, but we don't know what to build yet. And it's actually not even time to build yet. And I feel like there's a lot of people sitting in rubble, even in their own personal lives going, I asked God for more of him and I want to be in love with Jesus. And my whole life fell apart. Mm. And what God is doing is he's graciously allowing everything to be dismantled that wasn't born in the spirit and that can't contain and support that his agenda of being the center of everything that we do. And uh, so it's the goodness of God. And so I see a lot of churches that are in and have pastors reaching out to me going, like, what do we do? Like we, like they, they have a drive to build. We got to build, we got to build. And it's not time to build because they're just sitting in everything that just got dismantled. It's, it's a clearing away of the rubble type season where God's saying, will you give me, will you give me that idol? Will you give me the thing that you built out of your own gift set and your own strength? Will you lay it on the altars of offering and let me get something better? But to me, I believe there's a lot God's inviting a lot of us right now to say, yeah, God will give you everything that we have produced in our own strength that was dead works and we'll lay it before you as an offering. We'll be humble enough to say, I don't know how to do this and I'm going to depend on you and I'm going to listen to your voice for how you want to build this in our midst. But at the core of this new thing, it's going to be a jealous guarding of the presence of God and that when he's not there we have to do some repenting and check like why is God not showing up in our meetings in our in more than meetings our lives and our businesses yeah do you have a picture of you know what that wine skin that, that new wine skin uh, might look like because I can see a church leader or somebody watching this listen to this and they think well well of course we are centered on the presence of God you know God's the center of everything that we do how would how would you know 
if the presence is really at the center? Are there things that we can look for? Are there, you know, is there, is there some fruit? Is there some things that maybe, Hey, we, we know that God is at the center. We, we're seeing this new wine skin. Here's, here's some indicators. Do you have anything for that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, yeah. I mean, I think if you look, if you look throughout scripture, uh, when, when God shows up in a very specific manifestation in tangible way, things happen. Things get set in motion. God shows mm-hmm. up to Moses in the burning bush. It alters his destiny. He leads the nation out of bondage into for a 400 year prophecy. Like God showed up. <laughs> uh, God shows up in the upper room and these fearful band of betraying disciples are transformed into courageous preachers of the gospel and the lay foundations for, uh, you know, the church worldwide for generations to come. So there's, when God shows up, like there's undeniable salvation of souls, deliverance um, from works of darkness, empowering of people to works of service. And it's like, we see that in measure, you know, I think um, yeah. in some places that we're like, we, we would say, hey, like we would love the presence of God. We want him in our midst and we see a measure of that. And we may, may want more. Um, but in other places, I think, um, it may be a long time before you've seen anybody actually transformed by the gospel. And, you know, I, I did the stats when I was on staff at a church years ago, and it's like, we spent an average of like, I don't know, like $30,000 per soul that we said was saved and baptized in water in our church. And I'm like, that seems a little bit like out of order. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're dumping so much money into things that are producing so little fruit and we keep the machinery going and keep the conferences going to do the machinery better and not getting off of the treadmill and going, have we totally missed the point? Like, have, do we really have him in our midst? I don't know. Does that, uh, answer your oh, yeah, question? That, or be, oh, that may, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I just, you know, this is so, it's just so fascinating to me to hear you, to hear you talk about it, um, because it does feel like a season where everything that you've always heard, everything that you've been taught, everything that you've held on to, it's just being dismantled. It's just gone. And, it, and so, and, and, and the natural impulse is, well, then let's do something else. Or it's, let's do what we used to do harder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so so let's just double down on what we did in 2019. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 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 I would love to hear you talk about. So what are some maybe practices that you um, would encourage churches to take up that would really want to pursue that pres- the presence of God that way yeah. that you're describing? I'll share with you some examples because um I'm not advocating like, hey, blow up your whole thing and just absolutely, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know, I mean, if God asks you to do that, you, of course, you're gonna obey. But like, um, so you know, there's a church um, that I'm working with, and they're getting, they're they're a growing all all the markers and outside of success are there. They have huge congregation lots of young people, lots of money, um, lots of things going on, lots of activity, 
And then I'm talking to the pastor like this over Zoom and he's going, I can't do this anymore. Like I'm like getting so caught up with this. I just want God to be with us. And it's like, I don't know if he's really with us. Like the Bible tells us, you know, and like, so I'm having these candid conversations. So he said, here's what I'm going to do. Like, you can't t- turn the tide of this whole culture at once. So they just started a worship and prayer gathering. And they said, we're going to invite people that want to do this. And they just started uh, getting vision for it. So once a week, they just started gathering people in a room. And there, there was, I think their first meeting, seven people. Like, you know, like not, not a big following. Here's a huge congregation. They got seven people coming to a prayer meeting, worship gathering. And they just said, this night, we're going to just block out three hours. We're just going to minister to the Lord, no agenda. We're going to worship him. And then whatever he moves us to pray, we're going to pray. That's how they did it. Um, and they started there. And all of a sudden, things started happening in their congregation. More people started mm-hmm. catching vision. And so they just basically started a little bonfire and said, we're going to gather the people that want to be around this fire. And we're going to start discipling people in this reality. So they, that's how they did it. And I, I think um, that's one thing is starting a, you know, I think our typical Sunday morning flow, it's like, you can't, it's not a time where you can have like an hour and a half of worship or whatever, or two hours of worship. It's not maybe even the place for it. Um, But when you give people another avenue, like for extended, no agenda type worship times where purposes to worship God and then to really hear what he wants to pray. I think it can help you cultivate that atmosphere. And then people that are ready to implement that at like a more in a congregational setting on their main meetings. I just, I just always tell people like the main thing is like make space for the Lord and really start coaching people. Hey, we're going to go a little bit longer. We're going to like, we might go off the grid a little bit from our plan. We're going to wait a little bit longer and start um, casting vision for people like our main agenda, if this goes longer, we just want the presence of God. And, you know, like mm-hmm. slowly start to um, create a culture and a mindset in your meetings that this isn't about people, this is about him. And if it takes a little bit longer and God's wanting to do something, we're gonna wait and make space for that. So, I mean, those are, yeah. Yeah, that's really good. You talk about the uh, the prayer gathering. I'd love just in our last couple of minutes uh, remaining, because you talk about prayer gatherings in mm-hmm. your book. Every prayer meeting that I have uh, usually been to, churches I've been a part of, worked at, uh, they would have a prayer meeting, and you would go, and it was a Bible study, and uh, or, or it was it was another sermon. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, uh, there was prayer at the beginning. And it was basically yeah. Sunday morning with no music, with right. no, you know, no, just straight Bible study. And yeah. so I would love to hear, um, why do you think that's so important? Why do you think, the, so the prayer meeting, you know, what do you think it says? I guess, I guess I've got a couple of questions in my mind. What do you think it says? One, that so many of us, we just consider that something from the past. Oh, it's not relevant yeah. anymore. We don't do prayer meetings. We've oh, moved totally. on. Yeah. You know, and what do you think? I, it, I'm what really do you think kind of glad we moved on from some of those prayer meetings because a lot of the <laughs> I used to go to growing up, it's like you get together with a few tired people, and everyone's mentioning their aunt and grandma that's ill, and we're going to pray for them. And there's no, um, 
which are important to pray for those people. That's not the point, but there's no corporate Absolutely. sense of we're gathering um, to convene the government of God in our midst to rule in our city. So let me unpack that for a minute. So um, David, King David, basically built on earth what was in heaven. So when you look in Revelations 4 and 5, you see that God conducts his government in the atmosphere of unceasing worship and prayer. So you have the 24 elders continuously bowing down, crying out, holy, 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 casting their crowns down with the four living creatures that are, you know, hovering around the throne of God and they're declaring holy, holy, holy. And then you see that, you know, the 24 elders in chapter five with the harp and the bowl in their hand and the bowl is the prayers of the saints and the harp is the worship. And so you see in this atmosphere, worship and prayer going on before the throne of God. And then God is legislating uh, things into the earth from that place. And so when you look at King David and what he did, he modeled this like almost identically. If you look at First Chronicles 25, you see that David also had 24 elders and 12 member worship teams under them. There were four, him including three others were the four prophets, you know, that were seeing and declaring so that'd be comparison to the four living creatures. But you see the structure of four living creatures, 24 elders, the multitudes letting worship and prayer rise before the throne of God. So he builds on earth what's in heaven. So um, all that little theology lesson to say, like when we gather as believers in the name of Jesus to call on the name of the Lord, we are putting a throne right in our midst and we are convening the government of God. And I say this in the book, that your prayer meeting is the most important meeting going on in your city. Why? Because you're gathering around the king. He's higher than any power, any principality, any governmental ruler in the land. And we are surrendering to his will and we're praying his will into the earth. And so we come with the mindset of when, when we pray, like that these prayers from this building could shift the course and the destiny of our city and the nation because of who we're talking to. And, uh, and so I, I think, you know, prayer like can look totally different and should look totally different than it used to. And it shouldn't, you know, there is a time to dive into the word. Uh, there is a time for preaching. It's all part of it, but there is a massive gap in people just gathering around the presence of God to worship and pray. And I think it's crucial, like for what God wants to do. And so what would maybe a picture be that, you know, uh, of what a prayer gathering could look like? Maybe somebody's watching, listening, and they're trying to get some prayer gathering started, or maybe they've got one and they're just not really satisfied with the way that it's going. Do you have any tips? What, what do you think that prayer gathering ought to look like? Yeah. Um, I'm not a big advocate of any particular model, but other than like, you know, what's present in scripture, because I think, you know, people have different ways to uh, implement it but i do know that um that both worship and prayer should be a part of that gathering and so uh, if you even look at the lord's prayer the um coming into the you know the model of prayer that starts hallowed be your name you know mm -hmm. before it says your kingdom come and so there's this process uh when we praise and when we worship and we exalt god there's uh, low-minded thinking in our hearts about who God is is being washed off. Our view of God is expanding so that faith can increase. So we're now looking at him with clear lens. He's big. 
he's powerful and he's good. That's what happens in worship. When you worship him, eyes on him, when you sing the word, when you sing scriptures that illuminate his being, then your heart expands. Now from that high place of praise, when you're looking at him in truth of who he is, that's the time for intercession. And so what I tell people is that worship until you can see him clearly and listen to what he wants you to pray. And so that's, it's more of a, you know, some people, it's very intuitive where they're like, okay, I feel impressed to pray for this. So we're going to pray for this. Other people come with a, an agenda. Hey, we're going to pray for the youth of the city and we're going to pray for revival or we're going to pray for these items. I don't think either or is wrong, like having a list. And some people come say, hey, we're going to pray the word only over these things. We're going to pray scriptures. And so to me, it doesn't matter what model you use as long as you're, you're going after him, letting your view of him be expanded and then really praying his heart. So whether it's praying the word or what you spontaneously feel inspired to pray. Um, but I think having a particular model is important. And, you know, if you're interested, I could um, recommend some, you know, um, whatever, ap after this is over by email or whatever, if you want to stay in touch. But um, there are, that give just people like access points to like know how to participate with you. So I think a model is good of saying, hey, we're gonna worship for this long and then we're gonna pray over this issue. And then it gives people a chance to know how to interact with you. So that's the value of models, not that it's just a free for all the whole time and people don't know what's gonna happen, yeah. Uh, David, this has been so good. Uh, I would love uh, just for our last uh, question. You know, you, we are talking to churches of all kinds of different stripes, backgrounds. Church leaders are with us and people that serve in churches, all kinds of levels. And uh, I love the way you put it earlier that that so many church leaders just feel as if the floor has been taken right out from under them. Uh, yeah. They don't know what to do. And I would love for you just, just to close out. Um, what's a word that maybe you would give to, to a church leader like that today? Yeah, um, I'd say, you know, just keep your eyes on the Lord and um, keep your focus on because it, and don't try to figure out what to do with the mess and the dismantled mm -hmm. things around you. Um, they're not your building materials anyway. Let them fall to the wayside. Put your eyes on Jesus because he, he'll speak to you uh, when the clutter is cleared away. You'll hear him. And he is the master builder. And he'll teach you how to build something for his glory. That's really good. That's really good. David, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, I know before we started to record, you mentioned a website. Talk to us about the website, what we can find there. Yeah. yeah so uh, the website's my name, David Fritch, F-R-I-T-C-H.com. And uh, just kind of home for, I have some, uh, can learn more about my book Enthroned, and I have some online courses um, and I also travel and speak a bit here and there and, uh, teach on this stuff, partner with churches that are really wanting to shift the culture of their church. And, you know, um, so you can go there and, um, uh, you can get the book on Amazon or anywhere, you know, that they sell books. And then I have a complimentary online course that uh, if you want to go deeper and really unpacking some of these truths that I talked about, and you're hungry to kind of go there and you don't have the language for it. It's really the goal of us to kind of give you like the, the foundational heart and theology so that you can really run with what God wants to do. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. All of that will be on the show social notes. Media, I never, I'm never on there. So if you try to follow <laughs> me, I don't post anything. So <laughs> we'll, we'll so wear, wear, 
<laughs> okay, so so you're on there, but you never post. Okay, I understand. Yeah, I, I'm just kind of a season of just being off. But um, my website, if you want to stay in touch with me, there is you can sign up for a newsletter, and um, but there's a free few uh, some free downloads that you can download. I have uh, a set of notes on the Tabernacle, David, that you can have. Um, I have uh, a revival prayer guide that's on there. There's a few. Hmm. Um, can't even remember, but some interviews and stuff that I did uh, that you can download. And if you download those, you'll put your email in and then I'll be in touch with you and we can stay connected. And so that's a, that's a way to maybe stay more, um, you know, intimately connected as you can through email, but just more in touch with what's going on. And yeah. That's great. That's great. All the links to all that will be in the show notes. David, thanks so much for coming on. This has been a pleasure to talk to you. Hey, thanks for having me on. As usual, make sure to check out the show notes from today's episode. In the show notes, you're going to find links to David's website where you can pick up the book Enthroned. It's all there in the show notes. Hey, I would love to hear what you thought about today's episode. The Churchology Podcast is on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. How did David encourage you? How did he challenge you? What stuck out to you from today's interview? Love to hear from you. If you've got a couple seconds, leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to the podcast. Don't forget also, we've got a YouTube channel. Did you know that? Did you know? You can actually go and watch today's interview. All of our interviews are at our YouTube channel. Again, the links are in the show notes. New episodes come out every single Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening. Let's connect on social media. Until then, see you next week on the Churchology Podcast.